1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: My next guest is certainly uh, no stranger to KFAX listeners over the course of many, many years. And while he's done an excellent job over the course of the last 11 years uh, helping to uh, to keep the bull in line, he now finds himself literally battling the bears. (laughs) We welcome you back to this edition of Lifeline. We're today the U.S. House of Representatives. This week passing a $484 billion bill to expand federal loans to small businesses, those impacted by the coronavirus outbreak, and hospitals, too, overwhelmed by patients suffering from COVID-19. This in the wake of stunning numbers coming out of Washington, that a record 26.5 million Americans have sought unemployment benefits since mid-March. And Pat Fittucci, as we try to understand the implications of all of this, certainly good news that more relief is being made available to small business owners, but troubling that so many Americans are, at least at the time being, on the unemployment rolls.
2: Yeah, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Plan, has got a, another boost today. President Trump will sign his bill after Senate and House voted uh, an overwhelming majority to pass, as you said, four hundred eighty-four billion dollars. These numbers quite just keep getting more and more fantastic. You, you can't even imagine numbers this big, but it will supply small businesses and hospitals and and um, local governments with a nice uh, kick with some real good opportunity to keep some of those businesses afloat. Some of those hospitals that have been hurting financially. So we'll see how all this could stand out. The first, during the got distributed over just a short couple of weeks, and some made the cut, some did not make the cut. Shake um, Shack, that big uh, hamburger chain, declined to take their their uh, ten million dollars. They didn't want to be beholden, and they basically said they have nothing for their employees to do. Uh, Harvard University, with billion in its foundation, belieffully accepted $9 million, and President Trump, uh, in his daily commentary, was very angry that uh, they accepted it, and he suggested strongly they send it back. How does an organization with $41 billion in their coffers accept $9 million that could go to a lot of other small small businesses? And certainly... um, With Chris, Steakhouse, they got 20 million dollars to keep their doors open and keep their employees going. So that was, that was a fruitful way to uh, keep a lot of people gainfully employed.
0: I guess at this juncture, Bat, the big concern is that while we remain, as many major metropolitan areas do, New York, California, others, under this quarantine scenario, it, it just feels as if the economy is grinding to an absolute complete standstill, and we've never seen this before. That said, eventually things will begin to open back up. They've talked about restarting the economy. I don't know if that's really accurate, maybe a misnomer. It isn't as if the entire economy has shut down. Just certain parts of it have been severely stifled because of the stay-at-home orders. In the wake of the relief that's been offered now on the second tier by Congress, and as we begin to get close to a season when things will begin to open back up again. Um, would you imagine there being a major change in sort of the face of the economy insofar of what market sectors are providing, what jobs, people that have been furloughed, people that perhaps have been laid off, that maybe be out of work for some time, and maybe whole new types of jobs emerging in order to meet the needs of individuals?
2: Yeah, this, this, is, a, this is an area that we've never been, been down this road before, Craig, and so... How do you restart an economy? How do you select which um, occupations? I mean, Georgia has opened up officially today, and they're allowing massage parlors, hair, hairdressers, nail salons to reopen as of today. You can't get more socially um, lack of distance with those kinds of careers. I mean, we all need a haircut. I certainly need a haircut badly after almost two months of uh, not getting one. But uh, my hairdresser's scissors are not six feet long, and so I'm not sure how Georgia is going to be um, able to to get through this. It's going to be interesting to see what the COVID exposure is in the first week or two in Georgia, and it'll be kind of a kind of a litmus test for other states to determine if they should go down that road. Uh, and this governor has been criticized, the Republican governor. Otherwise, been criticized by President Trump, obviously a a, a Republican as well. So we'll see um, how this little test pattern works out. But California is is supposed to announce early May some phase in of getting getting us back to work, and, and we all know we're anxious to get back to work and start making some money and start start contributing to society.
0: To be sure, this is going to impact the way the economy functions as we begin to sort of see this layered return, as you suggest, Pat, not only state by state, but maybe business sector by business sector. And as much as all of that has changed, talk to us about how this is also going to potentially change the landscape when it comes to investing. For example, today word came out that the 10-year Treasury bond, the yield there has changed very little, in spite of the fact that we've seen jobless claims hit 4.4 million in just one week's time. So certainly some of the arenas where we would expect to see greater degrees of security when it comes to investing, not performing perhaps as they have under previous scenarios. So what does this mean from an investment standpoint insofar as the reevaluation and then redeployment into maybe whole new sectors as the economy begins to gain some steam?
2: Yeah, Craig, you had, you had a really good point. Sector selection is going to be so critically important. I mean, look at the energy sector. With oil today around $18 a barrel, it was negative a couple days ago. Healthcare sector, uh, high, high-tech sector, um, entertainment, and uh, travel, leisure. How about the retail sector, Craig? That, that's going to take a, a giant hit. And there are a lot of those little retail mom-and-pop shops, and you take them out of commission for six weeks, it's going to wipe out a fair amount of those. They just will not be able to afford to bounce back. So it's going to be a real unique opportunity to select a sector. And, you know, we have always been sector rotators, meaning we get in and out of a sector based on the favorability of being in that, in that sector, so this is right in our in our wheelhouse. We've always invested our portfolios based on a sector, and rotating in that of these sectors is going to be absolutely essential. And certainly, geography is another issue. I'm going to suggest we want to be more in domestic than international, uh, global markets, emerging markets. I think they're going to be very slow to get out of this, not too unlike the 2008 Great Recession, where the U.S. bounced back pretty favorably and pretty pretty quickly within 19 months. Greg, if you recall, we reachieved the pre-2008 Dow Jones number. So given the fact that we printed a lot of money in 2008, we printed a boatload of money this time around. So it... Suggest if history repeats itself, we are in 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 terms of the supply of money and being able to meet the demands. uh, uh, We have um, kind of carbon copied what we did in 2008, and so I think there's a real good opportunity to stay domestically and going abroad may be very risky and it may be much slower. Rebounding, we know Italy and Spain and uh, other countries have had a much bigger severe COVID nineteen exposure, given the uh, per capita per per million um, comparison number. So, while any one life is certainly really important, uh, we in 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 the U.S. we've had uh, a death per million to be less than some of these other countries. So I think domestically would be the favorite place to be, again, looking at rotation within sectors uh, that you think and that we think in our portfolio design will be more participative as we dig out of this mess.
0: For many months, many years now, there's been this very slow funeral dirge being played on behalf of so many brick-and-mortar stores. We've seen many names that we grew up with, Disappear, Montgomery Wards, Woolworths and Company. Then today we look at some of the few survivors like Macy's, Neiman Marcus, Sears and others that were on the edge of extinction prior to all of this. And I have to wonder, once the dust settles on coronavirus 2020, Will few, if any, of these large-chain department stores be survivors, or will that entire market sector literally disappear?
2: Yeah, before, before COVID-19, Sears, J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, they were on life support. I think it's just a matter of time before we hear complete bankruptcy, complete closure. Keep in mind, Amazon, because we're all stay-at-home people now, they're booming. They're hiring 100,000 people. So this just accelerated online buying because we've now all become professionals at online delivery, especially on the online delivery of food, which heretofore has been a, a very tiny percentage. But of all the friends I know, everybody's ordering food online. And so we've got this acceleration of the death of retail or at least the, the, the serious ongoing decline of retail outlets. And I think that's going to be, um, going to be the death knell for a lot of these, certainly these large department stores where that business model worked beautifully for, for perhaps a hundred years in, the, in, 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 in the name of Sears and JCPenney, uh, even Macy's, uh, it was crippling before the closing stores. And so I think the COVID-19 will accelerate the demise of of some of these giants that we've seen uh, that were near and dear to heart. We we grew up, uh, Craig, looking forward to getting the Sears catalog. And I think uh, sadly, um, our, our children, our grandchildren are gonna read it in the history books.
0: We alluded to the uh, 10-year Treasury um, seeing very little change in the yield. Um, I'm wondering about the bond market. Uh, In particular, there was comment made by Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell suggesting that those states whose finances end up becoming completely depleted because of the economic impact of the corona pandemic um, could declare bankruptcy. I'm wondering, though, if you do something like that, what happens to bond ratings of some of these states? I mean, even a state like California as healthy economically as this state is in comparison to so many others, only has a double-A rating by Fitch. And if you look at a state like Illinois that has been besieged by economic problems for decades, uh, their triple B plus rating uh, could absolutely plummet. And does that essentially then potentially completely wipe out that whole government bond sector, potentially? Yeah, for the last several years,
2: we know the unfunded liabilities, the pensions, et cetera, that these governments, both state, county, and city levels, have overpromised, and now they've been unable to uh, deliver. And this punch in the stomach in in the financial heart of of some of these statements is going to make it even much more, much more difficult. They're going to have to float a lot more bonds. A lot more municipal bonds and and state bonds, um, so the writing on the wall is not is not is not good. Um, and you're right. I think some of the ratings of some of the states are going to continue to to uh, decline. And California has got trillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities that um, that is going to make this um, this whole scenario is going to make it even much more much more difficult to, to fund. Uh, given, look look at where the interest rates are now, Craig. They're pretty close to zero. So um, if you're buying a house or buying a car, uh, this is probably a pretty good time. But for states with um, big debt problems, like Illinois or New York or California or New Jersey, um, these are heavy industrialized states. Uh, this is going to take some real... Cr- creative
0: accounting. Finally, Pat, certainly we've learned that one man's disaster is another man's opportunity. And during this season, when there has been so much upheaval on the markets, um, people are looking for safe havens. uh, But some of the ones that are really keen enough And in a financial position to take a little bit of risk right now, this could be a golden opportunity. You've talked on the program down through the years quite a bit about the fact that a guy like Warren Buffett, for example... Um, has amassed the amount of wealth that he has, not necessarily because he 's got some crystal ball that tells him where to point to and when, but rather I guess that he 's kind of got the uh, the uh, the fortitude, maybe some might call it the the stomach acid capacity to uh, to really deal with opportunities that may appear to be risky at first, but in fact over the long haul um, can actually be very positive potential opportunities speak to that point for a moment if you would for people that are trying to kind of understand how to better navigate the the new terms of engagement so to speak the new laws of wealth and investing during a pandemic like this yeah craig when you you go to webster's dictionary and you look up patient investor you're going
2: to see a big picture of warren warren buffett this is this is christmas day to a guy like warren buffett not to suggest he's he's not um, upset about the loss of life, but this is a trader's dream, and, and he started this thing, this uh, whole session out with something like 130 billion dollars in cash. He's been waiting for this market crash. Keep in mind, we've had 11 years of a bull market, so he knows bull markets don't go on forever, and he had no idea, I'm sure, a pandemic was 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 around the corner, but. An 11-year bull market suggests it's coming to an end soon for unknown reasons. And here we are. You and I never used the word pandemic two or three months ago, and here we're hearing about it every hour. And so buying stocks at these low, low prices, a year or two from now, whenever this market recovers, who knows if it's six months or 12 months or 18 months, um, you know, this is a, 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 a trader's market. And guess what? The same is true for John and Mary, listener to, to your show today, Craig. If you've got a hundred thousand or a million dollars and you're in bonds or you're in mortgages or you're in, you're in bonds, uh, all our offices, we need to talk about potentially reallocating. Again, keeping in mind your appetite for risk, your, the, the time you want to invest when you need to use the money, but if you've got some non-equity positions, cash, bonds, mortgages, uh, to me this is a golden opportunity, again, based on your, your um, philosophy and your, your intestinal fortitude, as you spoke about. This may be a golden opportunity to consider some serious reallocations. Our, our team of, of pros are, are ready to do virtual meetings, FaceTime meetings, and hopefully in the near near future, uh, six foot apart, distance uh, social distance meetings at any one of our fourteen Bay air offices. But we're having lots of Facetime meetings, lots of go dot com meetings, and these are all free. But we can certainly get started on collecting data and and begin to co- uh, consider making some serious moves again based on your. Your time frame, your appetite for risk, and a host of other issues that we would would tend to explore with you personally.
0: And I suppose at the end of the day, I mean, some people like to look at the glass half empty. But if you look at this from a glass half full position, again, with the caveat, it depends on your appetite for risk, your timeline toward retirement, things of that sort. But, you know, is it generally true, Pat, that markets don't really perform best when they simply go from good to great? rather that we see the best performance when things go from terrible to not quite so terrible as before, kind of in increments, particularly as we see, for example, a, a 10% correction in the markets. We think, wow, this is new to us. Well, it's new in the last 11 years, but if you go back in history to the early days of the Dow, since I think like 1900, there have been over 123, 10% correction. So it, 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 does there perhaps necessitate a re-evaluation here in terms of um, whether or not for you, for an individual, this would be a good time to reconsider market positions? It absolutely
2: is. You cannot stick your head in the sand. Keep in mind the Dow was at 29,000 mid-February. It went down to 18,000. It is now in the twenty three, twenty four thousand 24,000 range. Uh, and so it's recovered about half of what it's lost. So what have you done in the last couple of weeks to mitigate your positions? And what are you going to do in the next couple of weeks to to participate more fully in those sectors that historically will outperform when we climb out of this bear market? And it is a bear market. We're still down 20 20%. So we want to make sure... You don't, you, don't, you, you don't do nothing. Doing nothing at, in, at this point is probably not a good idea. You want to evaluate not only what percent you have in the stock market, where in the stock market are you? Large-cap value, large-cap growth, mid-cap value, mid-cap growth, small companies, growth, growth in value. Are you in domestic? Are you emerging? Are you in global? It's a real opportunity to pull out your statements and evaluate what sector – you are in. And so if you need help, give our offices a call, and we'd be glad to assist with you. But um, certainly, uh, if you've got time on your side, this could be a windfall opportunity. Uh, if you believe in America, that we will bounce back, back, as we have from SARS and Ebola and 9-11 and dot-com collapse. Uh, this is a resilient, strong com- country that we're all proud to be Americans, and guess what? If if this crisis is like all the others I just named, um, you want to really pay close attention to your asset mix.
0: And to take advantage of that evaluation that Pat mentioned a moment ago, absolutely without cost or obligation, you can simply go online to dontinvestandforget.com. That's dontinvestandforget.com. And don't forget, as Pat mentioned, the appointments can be made easily and... Appointments can be conducted, I should say, by telephone or uh, certainly um, through a go-to meeting or electronic means. And again, no obligation whatsoever. Toll-free number to call to schedule that appointment: triple eight planwise. That's eight 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 P L A N W I S E. Or again, online at don't invest and forget dot com. That's don't invest and forget dot com. thanks so much for the time and the update on the markets. And we'll speak to you next week. All right. At uh, 6.17, we're going to get you a look at traffic. Coming up around the corner, our good buddy Dennis Prager. But right now, let's look at traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: In the wake of the current COVID-19 crisis, there has been misinformation out there to such a staggering degree that perhaps it's high time we take a serious re-evaluation of what's going on in America today. It's often said that information is knowledge and power. And if that be true, there are plenty of people in this country that wish to control the movement of information so that they can control knowledge and ultimately control power. There's a new film out we've been talking about here on the program that really helps us better understand the ways in which this information of knowledge and communication can oftentimes be intentionally stifled based on an agenda. Joining me now is one of the best known and beloved talk show hosts of the entire country. He's been on radio in Los Angeles certainly since the early 1980s and can be heard each Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Pleased to have join us right now, syndicated talk show host, best selling author, Dennis Prager. Dennis, good to have you with us.
1: Thank you. That was very sweet, even though it was a depressing introduction because you're actually totally accurate.
0: Especially here in the Bay Area, Dennis, where places like UC Berkeley that had been a generation or two ago harbingers of the so-called free speech movement. And yet, ironically, it's many of these places, institutes of higher learning and others, that have intentionally begun to stifle free speech because of an agenda. This ties into a brand new film that you've just released and is available for home viewing right now. We'll tell listeners more about that in a moment. But tell us some of the genesis behind this movement in a very important way about this new film, No Safe Spaces.
1: The only word I would differ with that you stated was that it was ironic that the free speech is suppressed most at the university. It's not, in my view, ironic at all uh, and and the reason is I've spent my life since I was at the Russian Institute at the Columbia University School of International Affairs in the 70s. I've studied the left my whole life. The left has always attempted to suppress speech because that's what enables them to keep power. That is why they smear rather than debate opponents. These are ironclad rules. Liberals are for free speech. Conservatives are for free speech. The left has never been for free speech, and the left has taken over the university. So this film shows what's happened at the universities, and it therefore features a fair number of liberals, by the way, because uh, though liberals don't know this, some do, like Alan Dershowitz, who actually says this, the enemy of liberalism is not the right. The enemy of liberalism is the left. I wish liberals understood this, we would then win the civil war in the United States if liberals understood who their real enemy was. The university is, is, is the, the leader in suppressing free thought. And uh, if you watch this film, even if you show it to your kids who were at high school or college, and even if those kids are, are, do not share conservative views, they will awaken. That's how powerful the film is.
0: And I think what's critically important about this, especially at this time as we're learning, Dennis, that this information control that the left is, is exercising literally can have life and death consequences to it, can't it? Of
1: course. What people believe shapes their behavior. So if, if you teach people that America is, is a racist society then people will attempt to undo the American system. That will have s- the most severe consequences. That's correct. It, it is, we, look, uh, I, I've said for, and I've written it, it's on the internet, we're in a nonviolent civil war, but it is a civil war just as much as the one between the states in the 19th century. And it is, it is a civil war between two sides, And until the last few years, this was what I always said, there's a civil war, but only one side is fighting. I have lived to see that the other side is fighting. This this is the one source of hope that I have, whereas uh, finally, mainstream non-leftists, conservatives have awakened to the fact that their country is at stake.
0: To be clear about this, this war that you refer to is one that's being waged in so many battlefields, uh, the battlefields of public institutions, including schools, certainly a battlefield in government, a battlefield essentially that attempts to try and attack at the core American exceptionalism, rewrite history, and sadly, even up to and including attacks on church.
1: Well, that is sort of the paramount attack. The Judea, the only organized opposition, ideological opposition to the left is Judeo Christian, is religious. That's why they, they hate all conservatives, but they hate religious conservatives the most. There are conservative, of course there are conservative atheists and conservative agnostics, secular conservatives, and I welcome them and we need them. But the only organized large number of opponents to the left are to be found in the religious community.
0: In this film, No Safe Spaces, you interview a number of individuals across the country to essentially kind of pull back the curtain on exactly what has been going on here. And while at the core, this new film is very important, very educational, I think if it were simply a revealing of what the agenda is and how it's playing out, would be one thing. But do you also, as you've produced this film with Adam Carolla, see this as not just a revelation, but also a call to arms in a sense? And by that, I mean, Dennis, encouraging Americans that it's important that we be engaged in this battle for ourselves and not just sit back and sort of watch it as spectators?
1: We will only remain the land of the free if people become the uh, brave. We end the National Anthem the land of the free and the home of the brave. We will only have freedom if people are brave. And, and that's that's what, I think that's what person is left with by the end of the film.
0: Do you get a chance in the film to go into some of the personal battles that you've been through? For example, we've been following here on my program, uh, the challenges that you've faced in getting documentary-style truth out through platforms like YouTube.
1: This film itself was rejected by Netflix and Amazon, the most successful political documentary of 2019, with a bunch of liberals in it, and they still wouldn't have it because, uh, in some cases, they just said Dennis Prager is in it. It's mind-boggling how they fear, and, and by the way, they're right to, they fear any articulate conservative alternative uh, to what they say the the left in in really consciously or not knows that they cannot argue with us they can only suppress us and smear us we will happily go on any of their programs they will never come on our shows we will happily debate them they will not debate us they they know suppression and smear but not debate because th- Leftism is not rooted in truth, it is rooted in in emotion.
0: And sadly, at the end of the day, as you aptly point out, if they're not willing to engage in attempting to try and contradict the message or even counteract the message, they will silence the message. This is largely what has happened. As Dennis just mentioned, this film, No Safe Space, is the number one political documentary of 2019, literally not available through the platforms you've probably been watching ad nauseum for the last several weeks, Netflix. Amazon Prime, and others. And while you might not find it there, you will find it online right now at nosafespaces.com. That's nosafespaces.com. If you jump on it, there's a special discount code for our listeners. Just go to the checkout section and in the box, put in SAVE25 and you'll get 25% off. That's SAVE25 when you go online to nosafespaces.com. That's nosafespaces.com. Hollywood doesn't want you to see this film, but you need to. Check it out, featuring, of course, our own Dennis Prager, Adam Carolla, and many others. Go online right now, nosafespaces.com. Use the discount code at checkout, SAVE25, and you'll get 25% off savings. Dennis Prager, we appreciate the time and the hard work. Keep up the good work, my friend.
1: It's an honor to be with you. Thanks.